so, so stinking good. I love Easter. Love, 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 love Easter. Let me look at you for a second. Um, we have people in overflow right now that we want to welcome. And we want to welcome all the ladies at the Albion Penitentiary. We want to welcome everybody that's online with us. Monroe, so, so thankful. Oh, let me look at you. Man, I haven't seen some of you for three years. What is up with you? Come on now. I miss you so, so much. But today, I want to share with you a, a story. It's not really a story. It's about a man, one of Jesus' disciples. But before I begin to share this beautiful journey with you, on the left-hand side of every row of you, sitting close to the side, or if you're there, under your chair, there is a bucket. And inside there, there is a fake coin. Don't you love church when they hand out money before you even start? So I'm paying you a fake coin to stay awake. This is how we roll. So, so pick up that bucket under the chair and just pass it along. In the overflow rooms, there's a bucket on the left-hand side. If you get up, just put that. Don't take more than one uh, because Jesus is watching. And, and you can try and go to Wendy's with this coin. And tell them that it's on me today. And whatever they give you is apparently the will of God. So don't call me. Um, but you, you can, it's your coin. But I want to make sure everybody's got a coin. So pass them buckets, pass them buckets. Eliza, Eliza, pass them buckets. Make sure for those who are joining us online, um, this is what the coin looks like. And we're going to be talking about this coin because... This coin represents something we all hold in our hand. Something we all pursue in our hands. So, as you are grabbing that coin, thank you, Jesus, that you allow this message to somehow find a place in our hearts. So while you are holding on to that coin, have you ever been in a place in your human experience, which actually is probably a rhetorical question, where your life is filled with passion, zeal, excitement? Because what you see in front of you is so beautiful and noteworthy, it's kind of virtuous. It's a good thing. Now, you know, virtue is behavior that is motivated by moral and by significant goodness. And you are pursuing this as a value in your life, but sometimes there is a displacement of those passions because the closer you get to what you pursue, the greater disconnect between you and God's dream for your life. Because in the book of Psalms, God says this, when you were in your mother's womb, I knew you, and I had plans for your life, plans to prosper you and not harm you, plans that are good and not for evil. Now, one of Jesus' disciples 
never gets preached about. As a matter of fact, whenever we refer to this disciple, we refer to him like um, that person in each of our families that are born to make the worst kind of decisions. Don't look at them right now. You know the kind of people you go like, oh my gosh, I'm just giving up. They are born to mess up. But you see, this disciple we have, we have ostracized and ejected. When we mention this disciple, we do it in a derogatory term. When your neighbor mows on the wrong side of his fence, we go like, he is such a... And we would treat him by the name of that disciple. But I personally believe there are no bad people in life. I personally believe that even decisions people make that I may think is an ignorant, bad decision, I don't have the power to judge until I hear their story. Because every person has a story that shapes the decision we make. Because I'm here to tell you about that disciple because I think we as people, let me be personal, I have more in common with that disciples than the other 11. I don't want you to look at me that way because I think you may discover that you too have some of that disciple in you. But now, Promise me you're not going to fall asleep in the next four minutes. Come on, promise me. Scout's honor, don't fall asleep. Because I've got to give you some context so you understand why this disciple made a decision that we despise. So during the time of Jesus, there were small little towns with simple-minded people. The sunrise, they rise. They've got chickens. Their F-14 truck is a donkey that's like 900 years old. Simple lives. But the Roman Empire decided to occupy and colonize the world. They would send vast amount of brutal troops into cities to occupy occupy and make it Roman territory. And one of the most horrible things they did was impose gut-wrenching taxes on people who live off the land. Taxes were a donkey tax, a harvest tax, a plow tax, a rain tax, a, a, a sales tax, a temple tax. Any tax that you can imagine they would impose. Now, if you cannot pay that tax, listen, it's tax season right now, and I know for most of us, I know me, I've tried all my life that the taxman gives me money back. He's never given me jack. Never. Now, whenever you wait for your tax returns, every year I pay in, and every year I pay more, and I still pay in. And, and when the taxman says you owe him money, all we do is make an arrangement with the internal revenue service that we will pay it back over 900 years. You know what I mean? But it, it didn't work that way with the Rome. If you can pay your taxes, they take your land, they take your animals. If they cannot take from you, they throw you in prison until your family can pay back the taxes to release you out of prison. Not only that, they treated you 
like you were vermin on the street. The soldiers would literally bring you over, put their back on you, and make you their little sidekick to, to carry their stuff. Now within every people that are oppressed as humans, you cannot oppress a human being for too long before we plan an uprising to that oppression. Even two-year-olds are scheming against their parents. That's in our human nature. So a secretive organization was formed during that time of oppression. They were called zealots. Zealots means a zeal that there is only one God. Why did they declare we have a zeal that there's only one God? Because you see, Rome didn't only come with taxes. They came with an ideology and a cultish theology. Now, I'm almost done with history. So Julius Caesar had an adopted son called Octavian. Octavian really needed a good therapist, but he didn't get one. So Octavian was to be in charge with Caesar, and Octavian clearly needed to elevate his position. So he began to put an ideology together that his father was God incarnated. So he said, Julius Caesar is not a man, he is God. And since I am the son of God, now, I am divinity too. Here's the worst. He says, and wherever we go, the Son of God is going to preach the good news about Rome. But their good news was not good news because their good news took from you and punished you. Can I tell you about the good news of Jesus? It doesn't take from you. It gives to you. It gives life, forgiveness, grace, restoration. So, they not only had an occupation, but they were threatened in their beliefs. So, the zealots, secret, said there is only one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we are going to oppose this and overthrow this occupation. But because they only had plows and knives, they had no weaponry, they started to do guerrilla warfare, ambushes, on small amount of Roman soldiers. If you want to find out more about it, do what all good theologians do. Google it, and you will find out about that. But in that organization, there was a group that felt that it wasn't going fast enough. They were called the Sakari, which means dagger. So what the Sakari would do they would pinpoint generals and leaders, and they said, if we can assassinate the leaders, we will cripple the Roman Empire. Why do you need to know this? Because you know, Jesus chose 12 men carefully because he knew that they were going to carry the message of God's kingdom to the ends of the earth. Two of Jesus' disciples the one was named Simon, was a zealot. He was part of the secret organization. And the other one that we're going to talk about is Judas. Ever heard of Judas Iscariot? When you want to quit your job, you say to your boss, you're such a Judas, you backstabbing son of a gun. 
because Judas is a terrible human. Judas was a Sakari. And if I was on Jesus' board of directors, I would say, Jesus, let me just tell you, that's a terrible idea to choose these two people. But you know what I've learned about Jesus? He never chooses you because of what you're involved in. He chooses you because he knows who you are on the inside. He didn't choose wrong. He knew that these people had passion and they, they, had, they had an amazing ability to believe that something needed to happen. And if he can turn it to the kingdom, clearly this would matter. But why am I telling you this? Because I want to tell you just two things, actually three things about Judas. You remember Judas, the one who betrayed Jesus, sold him out? Judas was a trustworthy man. You say, well, how do you know that? Now, the Bible tells us that wherever Jesus traveled, he healed the sick, raised the dead, preached the good news, and people would give money, and they would use that money to distribute it to the poor. Now, Jesus had 12 people that he could choose from to carry the money back. There was one guy, his name was Matthew. Matthew was good with numbers. Do you know people that are good with numbers? I'm not good with numbers. Thank God we are back to credit cards. Because remember the days when they give you change? And your dad says, make sure they give you the right change. Baby, if I shake it in a jingle, it's got to be enough. That's all I'm saying. I, I cannot work this out. My fingers move when I count. And so, Matthew didn't count for these fingers. But Jesus says, give Judas the money bag. So in other words... Judas, in the eyes of God, was more trustworthy than Matthew. The other thing I can tell you is that, Jesus, Judas, uh, 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 that Judas believed in the message of Jesus because he left his family, he left everything, and he followed Jesus for three and a half years. The thing I admire most about Judas is that he loved the poor. He loved the disenfranchised. He loved the underdogs. Because there's this interesting story. In the book of John, chapter 12, Jesus was meeting inside a house, and there was a high-end prostitute. You go like, how do you know she's high-end? Because the Bible says she had perfume with her that was worth a whole year salary. Now think about any prostitute that pays $60,000 for perfume. This is like snake spit. This is the magic potion. She is a premium hoochie. You know what I mean? She, don't, we're going to edit that out. Don't even email me. She's premium stuff here, people. She must have made a lot of money. And she knew investing in that perfume would up business. But you know what's so interesting about when God comes close? He changes and makes everything beautiful. He wipes away the past. This woman, this prostitute was so deeply touched by the love of God and the transformation. She burst into this gathering and it was a carnal sin because culture didn't allow a woman to enter the gathering of men. I didn't make that rule. That was culture back then. Everybody gasped for air. Secondly, 
she's a known prostitute. That's the worst thing. Because if she comes close to you, her dirty jumps on you. That's how they saw it. You know what she did? She took that perfume, holy work, years worth of wages. This is guaranteed business. And she poured it out on the feet of Jesus. She took her hair and she began to wipe Jesus' feet and she cried. You know what Judas did? He looked at this and he said, wait, 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 Jesus, why did you allow this? We should have taken that perfume and sold it and give the money to the poor. And I go like, Judas, dude, I'm so impressed. It sounds so virtuous. In other words, you are, you are seeing the poor people struggling while we are wasting money. Virtue. But you know, virtue is interesting because the Bible says, the human heart is deeply deceptive unto itself. In other words, right now in this place, Everybody you know, you know they're bad. They don't know their own. And it's not a spirit of discernment. That's just the way God made us. Everybody sees what we cannot see in ourselves. Right? Because within all virtue, it's impregnated with vice. What is vice? It's that laced self-agenda, self-exaltation, what I want out of what I am doing. But we don't see the vice. All we know is our virtue. Because you see, the story goes like this. And I just want to say, spoiler alert, if you've never read the story, this guy Judas, he sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. That's worth about 200 to 800 US dollars today. He was trusted. He was loved. But he sold Jesus out. So if I had to question him, I go like, uh, Judas, don't lie. Uh, you're attached to a, a lie detector right now. Why did you do it? I think Judas may have given us a few answers. Judas must have told you, I have read the prophecy that a Messiah would come. And the prophets say that he would liberate God's people. You see... He heard the right thing, but he interpreted his way and not God's way. Okay, let me ask you a question. Have you ever interpreted what you think God wants to do in your life, your way and not God's way? Because they said, we want freedom from the Romans. And God goes like, you don't know. I'm about to give you a greater freedom, a freedom from sin, a freedom from shame. My kingdom is not of this world. What I want to do, your eyes cannot see. He says, your ears cannot hear. But if you trust God, what He plans for you, it's far expensive to what you want. Judas began to see that Jesus was not following His plan to free them. The second thing that scholars said, that maybe he thought if he sell Jesus out, and he believed Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus would now be put in a tough spot, and now he needs to act, believing that Jesus would call the wrath of God on all these Roman soldiers. Because remember, in the Old Testament, kids came, and they mocked a prophet. They go like, you bald head, you bald head. A bear came and ate all the kids. 
I go like, oh, that's messed up. Don't worry about it. It's there. I don't. In other words, when God shows up, it's not good news for man when he brings judgment. Because not only did he want it to do it his way, he wanted to do it in his time. Oh, isn't that so much? How many of you have ever said to God, oh God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done. I'm going to follow you, Jesus. Because you make all things beautiful in your time. Then you get up and you're like, come on. Come on. Let's go a little bit slow here, Jesus. Because I want it now. Maybe that's exactly what happened with Judas. A good heart. A good man. Simply seeking to liberate the people. Or is there more to the story? Because you see, Judas, after he received 30 pieces of silver, he came where Jesus was praying, and he kissed him on his cheek. What is more painful and betrayal than someone who has proximity to you and intimacy to your heart, that they are able to kiss you on the cheek while they stab you in the back? Not an enemy, a friend. If I could say, Judas, why did you do it? Judas, what was that kiss about? Can I tell you what I think that kiss was about? It was a kiss of detachment and departure from no longer your way. Now I'm going my way, and my way is a good way. Here is the sad thing. I think the statement that I hate most about our human experience is hindsight is twenty twenty. Now, if you've lived long enough, you understand why I say I hate it so much. You know what a mulligan is in golf? If you don't play the game golf, a mulligan, when you shout that, it means what just happened never happened. I'm going to do it again. I say to the church, if you invite me to golf, I get 18 mulligans. 18 of them. And if you don't like it, don't invite me. Because I would hit the ball, and I'm completely convinced between my upswing and downswing, I have a Tourette's episode right there. That happens. And where's my ball? I go like, don't worry about it. They're cheap. It's, it's a range ball anyway. A mulligan, mulligan. Never happened. But church, Scripture tells us something extremely painful. He says in the book, of Matthew 16, 26. Look, does it make sense to truly become successful? But then hand over your very soul. What is your soul really worth? Because Judas's kiss on Jesus' cheek was not a momentarily decision. It was a slow descent over time and that's the entrapment of the enemy we don't go to bed and say i believe in god tomorrow morning you wake up possessed and go like i hate him and i'm gonna do my thing because remember the story of the woman that judas says we could sell that perfume and give it to the poor when you keep reading in john chapter 12 listen to the rest of what was behind his virtue. 
Bible says he said those words not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And he go like, oh, there you go. No, 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 listen. And having charge of the money bag, he used that money for his own cause. Oh, oh, so big. In other words, slowly but surely, he started to drift and not trust God's way, God's timing. And he sold Jesus for 30 pieces. And because there's no mulligans in life, then came regret. You know what's, what's so terrible about regret? It always comes at a point when you don't have enough life to redo. You know, the country I come from growing up, if you turn 70, everybody, everybody marvels that you've lived that long. 72 is a dinosaur. Now in our country, they keep us alive into our 90s. Death takes a long time. And one day you and I are going to sit on our rockers and our grandkids that want to be with us. And all we're going to have is playing in front of us our story of did we sell out Jesus and God's way for our pursuit. The, the company you build is going to be sold. You're going to have money but you are too tired and too sick to go anywhere. You're just going to sit there. And you know what Judas did? The regret was so painful. And he knew there was no redo. But he was wrong. Because there was another disciple. His name was Peter. Remember Peter? Jesus says, Peter, I'm going to build my church on you. I, lo I, I love your tenacity. Peter denied Jesus three times. But Peter understood a little bit more about the cross than Judas. You say, Pastor P, why are you talking about Judas? Because I'm going to tell you, frankly, that I have some Judas in me. I know some of you can't wait to hear any wife and say, I told you it's a cult. He's Judas. No, let me tell you, it's not a cult. It's honesty that we all have something in our hand that can make us independent and self-reliant. Some of you, your Judas is dating the wrong person right now. Some of you, you're pursuing your own thing. And when regret stepped in, you know what Judas did? He took a rope and he went to a tree. This is the, the craziest, heartbreaking thing. He went to the tree and he hunged himself. He snuffed out his life out of regret because he sold his soul at the exact same time when Jesus was nailed to a cross to pay for the stupidity of a man that sold him out. Oh, if only I could go to Judas and go like, put the rope down, I beg you, put the rope down. Give me one hour, let me take you to the tree where Jesus is going to say, it's done. Judas, you've forgiven. Because you know Peter, the guy who denied Jesus three times. When Jesus came out of the tomb, Peter was nowhere to be found. So embarrassed. And Jesus says, go tell my disciples I'm alive. 
and Peter. If Jesus wasn't dead, he would have said, and Peter, and tell Judas to bring his cheek so I can kiss him with acceptance. So what is in your hand? I can tell you that Judas and me, if God doesn't reveal it, will work myself to death, believing that whatever I build, it's going to be successful, that people are going to view me as important. But I don't think it that way. I think, oh, whatever I do, it's for God's kingdom. What if God wants to slow down and not go bigger but deeper? What am I selling out? Because you can measure if you are selling out by whether it takes you away from God slowly or leads you to God slowly. Because you see, if everything else is more important than your proximity to God, I'm here to tell you it's that vice of Judas that is operating because you're saying that is more value to me than sacrificing my way, my time. Because I trust God's plan, God's thoughts over my life. So church, here we are today. I've been looking forward to this moment for so long and you know, I love big endings. I love to have a moment where you go like, dang, that was good. I don't have one of those. Because you see, whenever God looks us in the eye, only He can open our eyes so that we can say, I am Judas. Because remember there was a guy when Pontius Pilate looked at Jesus and he says, I found no wrong in him. He brought out a guy named Barabbas. Remember Barabbas? I always thought he's just a murderer, he's nothing. And they had Jesus. Barabbas was a zealot. He was in prison because he killed Roman soldiers to liberate Israel. And when Pontius Pilate says, people, do you choose God's way or do you want it your way? What did they shout? Kill God's way, give us our way. Can I tell you something? There's too often there is that in me. I say, God, your way. But I'm moonwalking the other way. Could it be that God wants the message of this Easter to be to potentially say, God, this is my will, this is my desire, this is my independence. Because we have created two crosses here, two crosses in the back. For an opportunity, you don't have to. To say, God, you're speaking to me and walk up to these crosses and put your independence, surrender it to Jesus. Your kingdom come in my life. I surrender my future, my present, my past to you.
I don't want to wake up with regret. I don't want to lose my family, myself. I don't want to become angry at the world. And I've had a miserable life. Because empty we come into this world. And everything goes back in the box. Just like Monopoly. Don't you just hate the people that always win? There's a look on their faces that I swear is anything of Murder was not a capital punishment. I don't because when they win, there is something in their eyes that like, I did it. Really, in my house, if you win, you're the one that packs it back in the box. Because you don't really win. It all goes back in the game. So can I ask you to hold your coin? And just let the worship team just gently sing the song and just say, Holy Spirit, allow me to hear you. Only Jesus all my days, my greatest treasure, no sweeter the cross before me, the world behind, I have decided only Jesus. Just one more time, Lord. Only Jesus all my days, no greater treasure. The cross before me, the world behind, I have decided only Jesus. So let me look at the cameras as close as I can get right now. In the overflow room, in this main room, online, if God is speaking to you, you don't have to do this. But I want to encourage you to get up and put your coin as a sign of your surrender to God's way and not your way. Trusting in Him, not on yourself while we sing the song. And I beg you, when you get back to your seats, please don't leave the auditorium. Retractable seats, there's crosses on the side, just find the light. Only Jesus all my days, no greater treasure, no sweeter name, the cross before me, the world behind, I have decided only no turning back.
are so welcome to come out even after service. I would love to just lead you in a very simple prayer. Because you see, the, the weightedness of our prayer comes from the intention of our heart. Because this is not a moment thing. This is a declaration of your intention for your life. And if you want to pray with me, you can just follow along, say, Jesus. All I have is to come and lay down my will, my dreams, my pursuit, my desire. I cannot see the vices in me, but you weigh my heart. And today I put my trust in you, my hope in you, create in me a clean heart, create in me a willingness to lay it down and pick up following you. Thank you that small actions has the power to lead to dynamic change. I will live with gratitude and not regret. Thank you that today you called me by name and you caused me to hear. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Now listen. If you want to find out about a next step in your faith, there's beautiful people here that would love to just point you a next step. We don't have a production line of things and hoops you've got to go through. If you need prayer for anything in your life, they would love to pray for you. My prayer is that next Sunday, you would make God part of your priority. Because next week, I want to begin to speak to you about that incessant voice in your mind. Because as a man thinks, so he becomes, and so the world is shaped, and so behavior. And that's why the Bible says God has given us mighty weapons to overthrow the uninvited voice that puts us in prison. Because some of us are held by the voice of someone on the playground when we were seven years old. So I want to invite you back. Parents, I apologize that your kids are coming home sugar-loaded. May God bless you with energy. Outside there's going to be coffee. It was such a privilege. I'm so deeply honored and I'm so thankful for your response. Now, this is my favorite part in this service. Maybe weird that I'm going to ask you to do, because I'm going to ask you all to stand and raise your hands towards heaven. You don't have to. You say, why should I do that? It's just the posture of receiving. That's all it is. Now, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the beautiful love of God, your Father, and the presence of His Holy Spirit that is your helper, be with you this week. 
May the Lord bless you. May the Lord protect you. When you look towards heaven, may you see God smiling at you. May God give you peace. May your house be filled with laughter. May your mountains be moved. And may your valleys be exalted. And may God give you courage to not be stubborn and trust Him more. Be blessed, church. Be blessed. I'll see you next Sunday. God bless you.